Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Oteil Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Faux, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. In their knowledge he'd abide Upon the back road he would ride The stones were in his eyes Back up was on the rise He heals people and he never lost Hey everyone, this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 101. Uh, Thanks for picking us up this week. Uh, We're really excited to bring you an interview with Chris Pandolfi, who's the banjo player for the infamous String Dusters and a, a big fish fan. We talk about the String Dusters' new album, their tour, as well as his fish experience, and he shares some awesome stories about playing with Phil Lesh and Paige and Fishman and, and Ryan Adams and others. It's a really fun conversation. If you haven't seen this band, go check them out. One of the best live music experiences out there. So enjoy the conversation and uh, we'll see you next week. Hey everyone, I'm here with uh, Chris Pandolfi, who is a fish fan, first and foremost, but also a banjo player for the infamous String Dusters. He's joining us from Portland, Maine on tour. Thanks for joining us, Chris. 
Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. Good to be here. And you guys are um, in the about in the middle of your tour. Um, you just released an album, Laws of Gravity, last week, right? Um, how's it going out there so far? It's going great. Yeah, Laws of Gravity is is finally out, and um, we're on the road doing our thing, and um, you know, excited about the album and connecting with a lot of people starting up here in in the in the Northeast, sort of for this first leg. So. It's good. The energy is good. Everyone's excited. And, um, you know, we haven't been on tour for a long time. You know, the sort of second half of 2016 was a lot of cool and different things, festivals or, um, you know, more collaborations. And, and now we're sort of back to the core String Dusters experience. And um, it's great, man. We're really into it. We're having a good time. We were just chatting before we started recording about the album. I, I feel like it is a return to sort of vintage um, string dusters. But, you know, you guys have spent a lot of the last, what, two years or so with um, with Nikki Bloom and doing Ladies and Gentlemen and a lot of the collaborations you've described. How has that um, influenced the way you guys are sort of playing and, and what you recorded on Laws of Gravity? Well, yeah, the last few years I've seen a lot of collaborations. You know, Ladies and Gentlemen obviously was all collaborations and connected us with some great artists, including Nikki Bloom, who you mentioned, and she was on tour with us. And then of course, you know, we connected with Ryan Adams for a short run of some really, really memorable shows. And that was um, unbelievable, man. Stuff, some stuff with Phil Lesh. Yeah. The Ryan stuff and, and Phil in the same way. Those were, uh, as the ladies and gentlemen experiences were as well, it's just all, really inspiring, really, really inspiring, um, you know, experiences as far as just seeing how other artists do their thing and, and, and kind of getting a, a taste of something different and, and then just playing with some of the best, man. I mean, Ryan, I, I couldn't believe just how talented the guy was. And, you know, every time he, he starts to play and, and, and starts to sing and, the songs, I mean, it's it really inspiring. You know, I think we all came out of that, uh, that experience with Ryan, just feeling like, man, we just need to do better, you know, as songwriters. Wow. And, um, and that's what, you know, that's what inspiration and influences are all about. You know, you sort of seek out the things that, that you love and you try to glean from that, what, what you think is really good about it. You know, in Ryan's case, that was the songwriting. And then of course, Phil, you know, the, the connection with Phil is, is, uh, to me more about, uh, the performance and the moment with the audience and, you know, especially at Lockin, which doing the film friends thing at Lockin was such a surreal experience, not only because, you know, of the lineup on stage, you know, I had Phil and Derek trucks to my left and Fishman behind me and Paige over to my right. I was just like, I can't even believe it. Yeah, that's insane. Being, being, seeing those guys do their thing, you know, in, in front of that and crowd, you know, 40,000 strong, amazing fans who all really know what they're seeing. And just to, just to see Phil, how in the moment he is with the music, um, you know, so those are two very different disciplines, of course, Ryan with the songwriting and, and Phil with the performance. But um, after, yeah, after a really awesome, 
and fulfilling year of collaborations. I feel like we, the band, just really last year as we were working on Laws of Gravity, it was just like, let's just take all the best stuff from this and up our game and, 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 you know, write songs that will come alive in a performance setting and also that stand on their own as songs. And, um, and then of course the whole studio side of it, you know, how do we get in the studio? How do we bring that energy that you cultivated, uh, you know, for so many years on the stage, how do we get that flowing in the studio? And that, those were sort of the, the, the remote goals behind the thing. And, I was really proud of the way everyone stepped up in the preparation process and also in the studio. And, you know, I think that the finished product, um, Laws of Gravity, I think it's our best album, absolutely. I think it really feels the most like us. It feels the most real, certainly the most live in the studio. And so, you know, it, it's it's good. You you put something like that out and we're just feeling like, man, this one is resonating with people, you know, more than ever before. And, and, you know, we're just hoping that it really gets out there. Yeah, absolutely. And for, for people listening who haven't um, heard the string dusters, obviously check out the, the album and you're going to wrap up your tour currently um, in the next couple of weeks, but you guys are going to be everywhere over the next several months, right? Yeah. The tour really, winds on all the way you know through april and into may at which point we start a segue into festival season but yeah we we're we're covering the whole the whole country over the next five months that's pretty exciting and i know you guys have you guys come to the east coast and you obviously play a lot out in denver and other places but um does this feel like more of a covering the whole u.s or does or is this sort of a a typical kind of route that you guys would follow throughout the year um, they're all a little different, but this feels like the most comprehensive tour that, that we've done in a very long time. Nice. Um, you know, our, our, our business is primarily built around the live show, you know, that that's our thing in this sort of, uh, this day and age, the whole album sale thing is in a very weird place. So we still make albums and, you know, it's still a, a very, I think, meaningful piece of art, you know, a collection of songs, the latest and greatest, you know, the distillation of all the new influences in music and life, et cetera, come together to form this, you know, essentially set of, of music. And the album still makes a ton of sense, not necessarily reflected in the, in the you know, business side of things, but it is still sort of the moment when you have the most attention shining on you and so you know it, it it's it's a big part of what you do as a band but ultimately touring is what what pays the bills for a band like ours so um you know we love to play live you know our shows are three hours two sets and very different every night and a lot of creativity and a, a lot of you know really sort of being in the moment and I mean, it's it's the payoff for us. So yeah, we're we're psyched to be on the road for sure. We want to talk just a little bit about your sort of fish experience. Um, obviously, they've been an inspiration for you, and I think um, I think when we talked previously, or maybe uh, in an offline conversation, you had mentioned that you I think introduced a lot of the rest of the band to fish, and um, you know just the fact that you're you've been so instrumental in pushing this kind of evolution of bluegrass i think so i'd like to hear a little bit about how fish has sort of influenced you musically but i guess let's just start with where your fish experience began yeah you know fish. i when i was in high school um 
you know, my, I remember one Christmas, my brother gave me a copy of Lawn Boy and that was my first introduction to the band. And it was around that time that I was really getting excited about music and I hadn't started playing yet, but, um, you know, they were that, they were that first band for me that gateway to seeing just the concert experience, you know, in full living color. And it, it really, it really resonated with me. I just remember thinking, you know, I, I just got it, you know, and it, it, it meant a lot to me. And I was always so excited to, to go be a, a part of it, you know, part of the audience working with the band and this one sort of big organism. And though I didn't necessarily know what I was seeing back then, you know, it had a, it had a big effect on me. And, you know, fast forward a few years and I was discovering other bands and the flick tones ultimately were the thing that inspired me to get into the banjo. And then, you know, uh, around that time, you know, through college and then into the two thousands was not necessarily the most, you know, illustrious era for fish. And I, I sort of, you know, I, I wasn't really that tuned in. I had found a lot of other types of music, including bluegrass and, and, and other fusion and stuff, sort of derivative of the flectones. But the influence that they had on me was always, you know, lingering. I think I probably went to, you know, a handful, 20, 25 shows in the, in the 90s, you know, some really, really memorable shows. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, as we started to evolve as a band... Um, you know, one of the most fun things about being in a band with a group of guys who, who you are really synchronous with is just a lot of, you know, late night discussions about how can we make our music better? You know, what what makes it great? You know, looking at those moments when the crowd is just like, whoa, so synchronous, so tuned in. Like, what is that? And as that conversation evolved, you know, Fish and, of course, The Grateful Dead, crept in and yep. we started to take our songs and and you know add these jam sections to them and and it, it, it really took some time and you know the 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 sort of beauty of that discipline is that it's really hit or miss and so we we'd go back and review you know and what what makes what made this moment really happen and as that conversation was rolling um you know, and the band was evolving over the years, uh, you know, I, I sort of started to tune back in and, and, and simultaneously I think Fish was sort of coming back together and hitting their stride again. And then I think, you know, three or four years ago, I think you were there. I think was, those were the first shows that I had been back to after, you know, not seeing them for 10 years. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that was a dicks and, now I've seen a bunch of shows since then and um, even taken the band to the Bill Graham shows in San Francisco last year. And it's just cool to kind of come full circle and, you know, to to have that influence. You know, there's only so many, there's only so many bands that you can connect with in your younger years in an earlier era that, like, that influence you in in a way that, you know, you, it's like your tribe, like your old friends, you know, you can only have so many of those, you know, and then you have these certain bands that they're the ones that you connected to early on that got you really excited about music. And that's, 
that, that you know that's that's fish for me. So we, we've we've taken a lot of parts of their music and um, you know the way that they structure their show and sort of made those tried to make those concepts our own in a meaningful way. And you know, and, and we also play some of their tunes. You know, we're, we've got first tube and bathtub gin we got you know we play a version of free and so it's cool to come full circle and and have these powerful influences you know be a part of what we're doing now in a in a meaningful way man yeah man absolutely and i remember i remember um dick's 2014 standing there with you i think that was the first show you had seen in in quite a while right and um yeah and I think we texted the next morning, and you were like, "I, I got to get tickets for tonight." Um. That's right. That's exactly what happened. And I went on, you know, I went on flash seats or whatever, and I was back that next night, and it was it was cool. It, you know, I, they sound they really sound great these days. You know, I just was at two of the MSG shows over New Year's, the first two, and um, you know, everyone's needless to say, everyone's got an opinion, but yeah. For me, it's not as it's not it's not as much about looking just at this thing that's right in front of you and judging. It's so much more. It's so much more. All these connections, you know, the history with the music, my band, the influence, and all of that together, you know, is just I can't have a bad time when I'm seeing those guys these days. And I think they sound great. You know, they 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 may not take everyone all the way every time, but they're playing in a way that I think every show is really, really a, a good experience. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys have kind of been pushing the pushing the limits of bluegrass, I think. Um, how do you yeah. feel about sort of carrying that mantle? Um, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a good question and one that we get a lot. And I think, you know, as much as, as, much as there's a, a conscious, decision there you know that we we want to we want to push the envelope and we want to be original i think a lot of those artistic things are you know there are things that need to happen naturally there are things that need to evolve in the right way and um you know that's the beauty of being in a band like this is we have so you know we're right now we're playing you know five shows this week and five shows next week so we get to play a show and you know, and sort of download everyone's experience that night and talk it over and then take that and apply it right then and there the next night, you know? So in terms of the evolution of the music, we're so lucky. We get, we, we we're allowed to, you know, we get to sort of let that happen in real time. So there's a certain conscious element to it, but we're just trying to take all the things that we love, you know, and, and, and I'm, one fifth of this thing. So these, these, these influences that I bring to the band, you know, are tempered with a, a, a big set of other influences and yeah. the challenge is to meet is to make them work together, you know, in a meaningful way and how to make song craft sort of intersect with, uh, you know, kind of the jamming element, the in the moment element and, and, you know, like I said, sometimes it goes better than others, but um, as far as the evolution of bluegrass, you know, it's it's going that way. I, I wrote an article for um, No Depression's big bluegrass and beyond issue last uh, 
or this past winter, mm-hmm. um, and I talk a lot. It's called the two worlds of bluegrass, and I talk a lot about how you know the the traditional world sort of soldiers on and and is still trying to you know maintain their relevance um you know in a in a world where there are just more and more bands every day all the time but then you know we're part of a scene that embraces evolution and is also seeing a lot more growth a lot more fans and sustaining bands you know in a meaningful way i think bands that will be around for a long time um and so it's you know, it's it's a the evolution is a natural thing, mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm really proud of the way that we kind of make all these things go together musically. And I'm just excited to to see where it goes. But it's you know, as we're on tour right now, that evolution is kind of in full swing. You know, day after day after day, and that's a really cool thing. Obviously, you guys are one of my favorite bands, and I think every live Stringduster show has those those moments um, that you experience at fish shows or, or people who got to see the dead where you like kind of lose track of time, you lose track of the song, you lose track of the, you know, and you get kind of get lost in it. And that's sort of the point um, for a lot of us fans. So you guys are doing a great job and I encourage people to come, come see you guys, check out the tour dates. Um, let's talk just a little bit, Chris, I'll get, let you go in a couple minutes. Um, what, what are some like key moments in your seeing fish or in your memory of seeing fish that just like knocked you knocked you on the floor are there any from your early days or or more recently that just um stick out in your memory um yeah you know it's funny i've also actually it's it's great now as a fan because you know you you don't have to go to every show and you can still experience so many of the great live moments just by jumping on Spotify and, and taking a listen, you know? And, and so I think, you know, that, that wasn't, you know, back in the day you had to, you know, get a cassette mailed to you and it was a very sort of not real time experience. So, you know, in addition to seeing shows, you know, I've also, um, been listening again lately and discovering a lot of cool just just hearing them hearing listening for that moment when you know when when they're out there on a limb and it and it works that's that's what i love and hearing mm-hmm. you know they, they they have this automatic draw i can remember um i remember when when i went to bill graham uh when the dusters were doing pre-production in the bay area last fall and, you know, they played, they played character zero. I think it was the encore on the third night or maybe the second night. And he, and Trey turned the mic around to the crowd and that energy, that knowledge of the music, that connection between the band and the audience, you know, that's, that's the moment I can mm-hmm. remember. I can remember pretty sure it was at Clifford ball. Um, you know, when, when they had, there was a moment, I'm pretty sure they were playing Harry Hood and there was a moment where the the synchronicity between the production, the lights, the crowd, the band, again, that just that moment, you know, when everything comes together. And typically it it comes in the moment when you know, when they're out there on a limb and they're and they're taking that chance and, you know, it all it all sort of ties back together in a perfect way. And um you know, that's the moment that we reference, you know, like, for example, the dusters, we, every night before we play, we have, 
uh, we have a meeting an hour before we play. We run over the set list. We talk about transitions and, you know, and this, on this recent Lego tour, we're, you know, we're, we had a meeting recently. We're saying, let's, let's really just try to up our game in, in terms of presence with the transitions. And let's not, let's not just, you know, rush to the next song and, and, and almost say, you know, when one guy starts to get that vibe, oh, it's like, let's, let's get this over with kind of, let's get on to something more meaningful. If you, if that concept creeps in, you're, you're just, you're, you're defeating the purpose. You're mm-hmm. stripping yourself of that presence that you need. And, you know, I, I think having seen that, having been there, having heard that, you know, I, that's when you know it's out there, that's what you want to try and, go and replicate the magic of it is it's it's not there you know every time but i can remember that's the thing i remember about back in the day when i would get excited to go to a show it was always just about and the thing that always got me most excited and i remember dicks i think last year um you know on i can't remember they played sand on the last night i think last or two years ago with dicks and i remember I, I had this like amazing deja vu where they they were setting out into the jam and you could just, it's just like that moment. It's just like, all right, here we go. The journey starts now. that moment i always look for that and and you know in trying to replicate that with our own band you can really feel it's such a function of all a function of presence you know the minute you have one guy who's not comfortable with that vulnerability that in the momentness and and wants to just move on to the next thing that's you know that's sort of the antithesis of that of that thing. You really gotta, you really gotta be there. So that, that, those are some of the biggest moments that I remember are those times when it's like, all right, here we go. The, the action is starting now. You know, it's like you have a great set and a great pacing and all these different songs that you want to hear. And they just set the atmosphere with the crowd. But then that's the, that's the payoff moment for me is when they, when they start to go deep and they and you can just tell it's like all right the the journey is starting does that make sense yeah totally yeah so just one more question chris and uh, over the past year you've been on stage with mike and Paige and fishman i mean what's the approach to playing music and th- this doesn't have to apply just to fish but to any of your idols who I, I know you've you've shared the stage with a lot of people you admire what's like what's your approach i mean is it to kind of give them the 
the space and just try to fill in around them? Does it depend on who it is and what the night is? I'm just curious how you handle yourself being a, you know, a huge fan of someone that, that you're then sharing a stage with. Yeah, it, it really, it really depends a lot on the setting. You know, I mean, that Phil and friends gig, I, I can, you know, I mean, that'll be a tough one to top in terms of being on stage with, you know, your heroes. Mm -hmm. And in that setting, I remember thinking, you know, I'm just really going to lay back and take cues from these guys and, and try and just listen, you know, really just listen. And Mm -hmm. with that many musicians on stage, you know, you, you could, you could argue that it gets even a little busy sometimes. And so there's nothing wrong with just sitting back and letting the music sort of take shape around you. But I do remember a couple of things really clearly about that show. I remember hearing Paige. I remember Phil throwing the solo over to Paige and almost, uh, you know, a lot like he does in Fish. I seem to remember, you know, it was like he, he was playing out, yes, but he was also looking for sort of a, a collaborator, you know, and, mm-hmm. and people to play with him. And when you would play off what he played, he was right there with you. And he would look up and he would look at you and he wanted that. And it's like, you know, it, it's like one plus one equals three. You know, when you have one guy who's, again, just in the moment and making music and he teams up with someone else who's listening to him and then you've got two guys building off each other, there's a synchronicity there that really translates to the crowd, you know. And then, and then so there was a lot of that at that show, you know, and people sort of working with each other and it was such an awesome collaboration. But then, you know, you're always you always gotta be ready too because your your moment is gonna come. And mm-hmm. for me, you know, it was on, on Shakedown Street and Phil sort of gave me the nod and, you know, you gotta be ready for that. You gotta be ready to step up and lead the charge even if even if, you know, you've got this all star cast behind you. about what's coming not think about what's what's been played just just hang in the moment and it it if you do that you know i feel like it it doesn't have to be perfect you don't have to have perfect execution you don't have to play the perfect thing but but the crowd you know they they don't they don't always know exactly what they're hearing but they do know when they're hearing someone who's who's right there with them at that 
moment in time. And so, you know, I, I just, Phil was almost missed that set. You know, he, he showed up five minutes before we went on stage. So <laughs> talk about in the momentness. I mean, that's what that demanded, you know, maybe more than any gig I've ever played. Here you are with this unbelievable all-star cast in front of 40,000 people. And if you're not flowing with them, you know, we have no rehearsal. We've never played together, but you have all wow. these, all these great players. You know, we rehearsed that day, but without Phil, it was just really a mock-up of every song. So, <laughs> right. Um, you know, I, I just I see those guys play, and I see that every time. And you know, Fish is as good an example of that as anything. When you see them, and they're on, they're tuned into each other. They're very gracious with the music. They're pacing. They don't. They're not thinking about what's next. They're just riding that wave right there, and you know, doing it sort of in sync with the audience. So, I mean, at that, I saw that happening. You know, that stage again at Lockin was like it was like a classroom. You know, and mm-hmm. everybody was so. I couldn't believe it. You look around the stage, and everybody was just like heads on a swivel, just looking up, looking at Phil, looking at each other, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that forced everyone into that vibe. And that was like, that's one of the great, awesome successes of Phil and friends or any collaboration for that matter. It's just bringing good players together who are even better listeners and just letting them, you know, have that, have that moment together and sort of syncing up with each other and creating this really unique thing. So that, that was sort of, that was sort of the takeaway and, you know, probably something that we'll be thinking about and working on for the rest of our careers. Wow. That's incredible. That's an awesome story. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and yeah, man, thank you, dude. Thank you for, you know, doing what you do and, um, you know, being part of, of the journey as well. well. We'll we'll leave the audience with a little music. Maybe I'll play some of that um Dick's fourteen show that kinda of brought you back into the brought you back into the fold um on the awesome. way out. Cool. Chris, well thanks for taking the time. I know you guys are busy on tour. Good luck the rest of the way. Look forward to seeing you next weekend and thanks for joining the, the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks, RJ. Talk to you soon, man. Okay. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil Story Made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Grey Street.